Hey, uh, thanks for being here. Uh, we are coming on uh, week three of our Heartbeat series. It's a churchwide series that we're doing to focus on letting our heartbeats align with God's heartbeat. And uh, we've been talking a lot about what is the heartbeat for Crossroads? What is God's vision for us? And so we've been taking this series to walk through our, our mission, um, the values that shape us as a church, and how we live those out to impact the community around us. And so uh, this week we're talking about the value that we have of worship, that worshiping God is a big deal. Worshiping God is a big deal for two reasons. First one is that worship is a big deal. Worshiping God is a big deal because worship is a big deal. Now, for, for those of you in the room that have uh, maybe you've grown up in church or you've been um, attending church for a little while, uh, you're probably thinking, okay, you know, you hear worship and you think singing and, and songs and maybe hand raising or whatever. But worship is much bigger than that. In fact, worship's not even a Christian thing. Worship is beyond that. In fact, Every human being is a worshiper. I, I, you, you may be the most devoted follower of Christ, or you may be the most staunch atheist. You're still a worshiper. If you have a heartbeat, if you are breathing, you worship something. Every human being worships something. And, and so I, I would, I would um, define kind of in this broad sense of worship, I would define worship as this. That worship is our response to that which we give ultimate value. W worship is how we respond to the things in our life that we give value. And the best way I can explain this is with Antiques Roadshow. Anybody familiar with that? Or, or if you're not familiar with that, it's kind of like uh, Pawn Stars or American Pickers. There's all these different shows where people find junk and they try to see if it's worth anything. Well, there's this really interesting episode of, um, of uh, Antiques Roadshow, uh, and I enjoy that show. I'm a PBS nerd. I like to watch those, those shows there. But uh, this interesting episode where this guy brings in this painting. And um, this painting that he had been, it had been passed down through his family from his grandparents, and he just had it in his office behind his closet door. So when his closet was open, the, the door hid the painting. And uh, he brings it in, and this lady appraises it. She's an art appraiser, and she realizes that this is an original piece of artwork from the famous Mexican artist Diego Rivera. And she priced it, appraised it, at one million dollars. One million dollars. Uh, one million dollars for a piece of, piece of artwork that the guy had behind his door in his closet. You're probably thinking, you're like, thinking about all the paintings and artwork that's hanging in your house, right? You're like, oh, is that worth, now if you bought it at Hobby Lobby, it's not worth a million dollars, sorry. But here's what I'm saying, this is, this, is, this is the whole point I'm making. This guy, after he found that out, do you think he took the painting and put it back in the same spot in his house, behind that closet door? I bet you that he totally rearranged his house and put this painting someplace where it would be safe but also prominent so that everybody that comes and visits, he can point to it and talk about it and tell them how much it's worth and tell the story about this painting. That's worship. When you find something, you say, this is a value in my life. This is a value, something that is worthy, and you arrange your life around it to point to that, to focus on that, to think about that, to live it out. That's worship. It's how you respond 
to something that you hold up as a value. And so, so maybe some of us, we, we think of uh, you know, this deity as, as something that's, that's valuable, whether it's God or Muhammad or whatever, you're religious. But even if you're not religious, you still have values, things that you hold up as this value in your life that you arrange your life around, that you, that you place your, tro- your hope and your trust and your faith in. And so, so maybe, maybe for some people, it's the value of success, that you want to achieve things. And so you, you feel like if I, if I could just achieve this, I could just be successful, then my life would fall into place. And so you arrange your life around achieving success and the decisions that you make at work or in your hobbies or uh, out and about. And here's the other thing about worship. We sacrifice, we make sacrifices for the thing that we worship. So if you worship success, then you're going to make decisions and maybe you stay a little bit longer hours at work or you take more overtime to try to achieve these things. Maybe you make sacrifices at the expense of your family or your hobbies to try to achieve this thing. Or maybe some of us, uh, the ultimate value is, is to get uh, approval. Right? So you make decisions, you arrange your life in such a way to try to please people and to give them what they want so that they can approve of you and you try to perform and achieve to reach this kind of thing. The other thing about worship is that we become what we worship. It's just a simple principle of, of you go where you look. Right? We all know this when we drive. You've been driving and you see something interesting and you look and then before you know like you're veering off the road, right? You go where you look. Simple principle. And so whatever it is that you hold as a value, I guarantee you're going to be constantly looking at that. And that is the direction that you go. You become what you worship. And so here's the question for all of us. Where no matter where you fall on the faith spectrum today, you worship something. There is something, there is a value in your life. Whether it's God or hard work or approval or your family or a hobby or whatever, there is something that you hold up and you arrange your life around so that you can point to this thing and you think about it and you focus on it and you, you give towards it and you work towards it. The question is, what is it that you worship? And for some people, you may, you may off the top of your head, just say, oh, I, I worship God. But does your life show that? Is the way that your life is arranged, does it really show that that's what you worship? Or is there some other value that you hold up that you worship? What is it that you worship? And then my second question is this. Is what you worship worthy? Is what you worship worthy of your worship? Is it worthy of your faith and your hope and your trust being placed in that? Is what you worship worthy of arranging your life in such a way that you're, you're focusing on this thing? Are you happy with the type of person that you're becoming as you pursue what you worship? Is what you worship worthy? There's another really interesting episode of Antiques Roadshow where a, a guy brings in this, uh, this, uh, this jug he found at a flea market, paid 20 bucks for it. And... Uh, he, he pulls out this jug, and they appraise it. I think we have a picture of it. There we go. I love that grotesque face jug. I, you know, I was like, all right. Uh, but anyway, so he, he says, I don't know much about it. I bought it at a, a flea market for 20 bucks. It was all dirty and dusty and covered in bird poop, and I cleaned it up and found it interesting. And so he brought it into Antiques Roadshow. The appraiser looks at it, 
and says, oh, this is interesting. This is turn-of-the-century art, folk art, and he gave it a, a um, appraised value between thirty dollars and $50,000. Pretty good for a $20 uh, a flea market find, right? The only problem is that after this episode aired, a lady called into Antique Roadshow, and she said, hey, you know that face jug that you guys showed and talked about? That wasn't, that wasn't made turn of the century. I said, well, how do you know? She said, because I made it in high school art class in 1973. <laughs> right? So suddenly this thing that was worth $50,000 is now not even worth the 20 bucks that the guy paid for. It's just a high school art project. And here's the point. There are some things that you may think are worthy of your worship that are not of any value at all. You may say, man, if, if I could just achieve this, then my life's going to be in order and it's going to be great. And then there's maybe some of us that have pursued that and have achieved that. And you look around and you say, man, it just feels empty. What, what's the deal? Is what you worship worthy of your worship. And so for us here at Crossroads, we believe that there is one thing worthy of our worship. There is one thing of utmost value worth placing our hope and our faith and our trust and there is one thing to focus on and arrange our lives around. We believe that one thing is Jesus. And that's why we say worshiping God is a big deal. So the first reason that worshiping God is a big deal is, one, because worship is a big deal. But the second reason is because, and more importantly, it's because God is a big deal. God is a big deal. He is the only one worthy of our worship. The only one that is faithful and comes through and is consistent. A.W. Tozer is a, um, a modern um, pat, uh, He's a pastor, author, kind of a modern prophet, kind of plays that role. He wrote this little book called Knowledge of the Holy. And his opening line in the, in the book, he says, What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because how you view God, the kind of ways that you think about him and, and, and who he is in your life, impacts your worship impacts how you live your life in devotion to him. And so uh, you can kind of describe worship in, in this way. We say God is a big deal, right? So he's, he's, he's bigger than me. He's above me. And so if I'm down here, then how big of a deal I make God determines my worship. So if God's like, yeah, he's kind of a cool guy and does things that I can't do, you know, then that gap between me and my view of God is my worship. I call it the worship gap. And the higher of a view of God, the more value and worth that you place on him then determines how you respond to him, and that's your worship. And what I want us to see this morning is that God is a big deal. And one of my fears that I have, because I see it played out in my life, is that I constantly just kind of lower God down a little bit so he's more accessible, 
so that I can control him a little bit, so that I can wrap my mind around him, so that he's predictable and operates when I want him to operate. He makes me feel comfortable. I kind of just lower him down just a little bit. But you don't understand. God is a big deal. We don't understand how mighty and awesome and holy he is. And there's all kinds of glimpses in scripture that points to how big a deal God is. There's this interaction in Exodus uh, when, when Moses is at the burning bush and, and uh, God calls him and, he, and, and Moses asks God, well, what's your name? Because for Moses, he grew up around uh, Egyptian gods and every Egyptian god had a name and they had a very specific role of, of a thing that they, they, they controlled in, in a realm of, of creation that they oversaw. And so Moses is operating and then he says, well, well what's, your, what's your name? Because he's trying to place God in a box and say, okay, what kind of God are you? You know, what is it that you do? And, and, and then he would know then how to respond. He says, well, what's your name? And, and God responds. He says, why, well, I, I am that I am. And Moses is like, well, what kind of name is that? <laughs> right? And he's saying like, oh, I just, I am that I am. Like, I, I'm so big. I'm so far beyond this. I, I'm beyond creation. I'm beyond existence. Like, I can't, I can't explain myself to you, Moses. Like, you, you wouldn't wrap your head around. You wouldn't understand. I, I can't tell you my name and, and what I do. I just, I just am that I am. Like, I'm, God's a big deal. And there's this other interesting interaction in Exodus with, with Moses and God. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. This is right before he gets the Ten Commandments. And Moses uh, asked God, he said, ask God to show him God's glorious presence. Show me your glorious presence in Exodus 33. And, and God responds, okay, I'll make my goodness pass before you. I'll call out my name. And then in the next verse, he gives this really interesting thing. He says, but, but you may not look directly at my face, for no one can see me and live. What's that about? Like, like Moses is wanting to experience God. God, show me your glorious presence. And God's like, look, bro. You can't see me and live. Is that, like, is that like Indiana Jones when the Nazi's face melts off or something? Like what, what happens? What's that about? I have a hunch that it's about God's holiness and his utter perfection and his awesomeness. And here's Moses, a sinful man, so far below where God is. And God's like, you, do, you can't stand in my presence because I am so mighty and powerful and awesome. You can't stand to be in my presence. You'll die. And so God meets Moses and kind of makes a compromise. And he says, look, stand near me on this rock. And as my glorious presence passes by, I'll hide you back in the rock. I'll cover you up with my hand. And then once I pass by, I'll remove my hand, and so you can see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. And this phrase, see me from behind, there's some scholars that uh, read that, and they, they don't think it necessarily means like the literal behind of God, but uh, that Hebrew word could also be translated afterward. So, so God's saying like, look, I'm going to pass, my glorious presence is going to pass by, I'll protect you, I'll hide you in this crevice of this rock from my awesome power and might, I'll pass by, I'll remove my hand, and then you can see my, my afterward. <laughs> you can see my, uh, like, my residue. Right? It's kind of like, uh, you ever had anybody walk by you that's wearing a little too much perfume or cologne? Like, you don't even have to see them. You're just like, whoop, somebody walked by. I can, you know. It's like this, this afterward that follows them around, right? 
And so God is so powerful and so glorious and so holy and so mighty that Moses experiences this afterword of God. And that was enough to change Moses' face. And he walks off the mountain and his face is literally glowing. He freaks all the other Israelites out. He has to wear a veil to cover it up. Like just the, the afterword of God changes Moses. God is a big deal. Do we understand who he is? Do we understand this person that we say we worship? Do you understand that God is eternal, that, that he has always existed? There has never been a time where there was not God. He wasn't created. He wasn't born. There's nothing beyond him. It's just always been God. And there always will be God. There's not a time there will not be a God. He just is existence. And God, out of, out of God, created everything around us. From, from the vastness of the universe, light years upon light years wide, down to the tiniest subatomic particle, God spoke and it was. And it's all under his control, all under his sovereignty. God is perfect and complete. He's not lacking anything. He needs nothing from us. To believe in him adds nothing to him, and to doubt him takes nothing away. He is perfect and complete. God's ways are right, and they're good. Not because God does right and good things, but because God is the definition of right. God is the definition of good. God's very nature is just and love and holiness. It's just who he is. And that's how we define those words is based upon God. God's power is infinite, incomprehensible. You can't wrap your mind around it. It cannot be checked, restrained, or frustrated. God cannot be stopped. There is nowhere that God cannot go, no heart that God does not fully know, no life that he can completely change. God is a big deal. And when you begin to understand him for who he is and see how far above you he really is, it changes your worship. Because you realize the value and utter worth and there's nothing that can come close to comparing to God. When you worship him, he's the only one, the only thing worthy of your worship, worthy of arranging your life around. God is a big deal. Now the question is if God is so far beyond us, if we can't even stand in God's presence without our face melting off, how are we supposed to connect with a God like that? Well, the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end just with a transcendent God. But it continues with incarnation. That this God is so far above us, we can't even understand looked at his creation and saw a need and realized that there's nothing that we could do to even come close to bridging this gap between us and him because of who he is. And he said, no, I'm gonna come down. And Jesus took on the form of man, fully God, fully man. God is with his creation. And what Jesus did on the cross and when he rose from the grave, now paid for the price for, for, for our sin. And now when God looks at us, he sees us as holy and perfect. And now we have one up on Moses. Moses who couldn't stand in God's presence. Now because of what Jesus did, we can approach God boldly. We can stand in his presence. Not only stand in his presence, but now because of what Jesus did through the Holy Spirit, now God lives in us. 
We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That powerful, mighty, infinite God is now intimately close. And so scripture uses all this language to talk about the power and might and holiness of God. But yet, on the flip side, uses language that talks about this intimate relationship. That God is our heavenly father. That we are children of God. That we are joint heirs in Christ. We get this inheritance. Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 3. He said, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And I love this next line. It's not just what he wanted to do. It gave him great pleasure. And I want you to know today, you may not feel worthy. You may not feel like you can stand in God's presence. But through Jesus Christ, when God thinks about you, he smiles. It gives God great pleasure to bring us into intimate relationship with himself. And it's one of the beautiful paradoxes of Christianity that God is big and mighty and holy and so far beyond us, but at the exact same time, he is intimate and near. We're part of his family. And this is what I think makes Christianity so appealing and so real in my life because isn't this the kind of God that you want? I was talking to somebody earlier this week that was facing cancer and they were talking about um, going into this cancer surgery and how nervous and afraid they were. Afraid of, of the surgery and how it was going to come out. Afraid that they were going to go in and open them up and find that the cancer had spread. And they just talked about this anxiety. And they said, but you know, and before the surgery, they prayed this simple prayer. And the guy was telling me, he said, I just prayed. I didn't know what to pray. I just prayed, Jesus, hold my hand. He said, in that moment, just a sense of peace and comfort came over me. The anxiety kind of went away and I just felt at peace. And so isn't that the kind of, when you're facing something like cancer, don't you want a God that's a big deal? Don't you want to worship a God that is bigger than your body? Don't you want to worship a God that is in control of all of creation? Because he's the only one that can do anything about it. But at the same time, you don't want to face it alone. Don't you want a God that is intimately connected, that can hold your hand through some of the darkest moments of your life. Crossroads, that is the kind of God that we worship. A God that's a big deal beyond anything we can wrap our minds around, but yet he's intimately close. We don't ever have to be alone. That his presence and his peace journeys with us wherever we go. And so the bigger of a deal you make God, the more amazing the gospel is that Jesus left from such a high place and chose to sacrifice everything for us. And that impacts our worship because now there's this immense gratitude that overflows in our lives, realize like there's nothing I could have done to earn your grace, to earn your love, and yet you gave it to me. While I was still a sinner, while my back was still turned to you, God, while I was directly opposed to you, you gave everything for me and made a path for me to be connected to you. And so now our worship is our entire life that's lived out in gratitude, a giant thank you to God. That's our worship. 
That's our response. When we understand the worth and the value of what Jesus has done for us, then you respond with your life in worship. Because worshiping God is a big deal. So I go back to that A.W. Tozer quote when he says, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. Because how you view God is how you're going to respond to him. And my fear is that too often we settle for a puny God. Because if I'm honest, I want a God that I can control. That kind of shows up on my schedule. I want a God that when I'm feeling a little dark, I can say, okay, God, I need you. And he shows up with just a little bit of light to make me feel better. And when I start feeling better, thanks, God. I can put him away. I can just go on with my own schedule. I want a God that they say, you know what? You know what? Today is really busy and I got a lot on my plate, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time with you. But okay, God, you can have Sunday because Sunday is a day of worship and I'll think about you today. And I'm going to go home and then when my week starts, okay, I'm good. Thanks, God. I want a God that, that I can completely understand. That I say, okay, God, why, why, explain to me why you're doing this and tell me what you want me to do next. Okay, great, thanks. And I can put him away. I want a God that is all about my comfort. Okay, God, I want to be happy. I want to be well-fed. I want to have a good income. I want to be comfortable. And don't dare ask me to do anything beyond that. Okay, thanks. And I fear that many of us are like me and you want to settle for a God that you can control, a God that shows up on your schedule, a God that does the things that you do, that likes the people you like and dislikes the people you like. We settle for a God that agrees everything with your viewpoints and he's the same political party that you're in and he does, views the world in the same way that you view the world and he's all about your comfort. But my question is this. Is a God that I can control a God that is worthy of my worship is a God that only shows up on my schedule and does what I want him to do worthy of my faith and hope and trust I think God is bigger than that instead of just this little flame that we can control scripture describes God in Hebrews the writer of Hebrews says our God is a consuming fire Consuming fire. And we've all seen the videos of uh, wildfires here recently on the news, right? That's like our God. Our God is a consuming fire. A wildfire that's burning out of control that consumes everything in its path. Everything is destroyed. You can't contain it. You can't stop it. Because our God is a big deal. And you say, that's kind of a destructive picture of God. I don't know if that's the best metaphor, you know what? There's things in me that need to be destroyed. There's things in me that I'm ashamed of. There's things in me that I've been trying to control on my own and habits and addictions and struggles that I just can't get a grip on. And I need something bigger to burn it to the ground. Here's the thing about wildfires. Once that old vegetation is burnt away, it makes way for new life. It's the same when it's to our faith. That's why scripture talks about we need to be born again. That we need to die to our old sinful nature so that we can be new creations. 
And so you can, you can totally approach God in this way. And you can deal with God on your own schedule and you can control God and, and only work with God and never do anything that steps you out of your comfort zone. And you know what? God will, will interact with you on that level. But you will never be changed. You will never experience the newness of creation, this, this transforming work that God wants to do in your life to totally wreck you and build you up in the way he created you to be. That's the kind of God that we worship. And my fear is when we lower God and we say, you know, God's not that big of a deal. He's just kind of here. I'm going to wrap my mind around him and I want him to work on my schedule. We limit God. And what I want you to know today, Crossroads, is that there is always more of God. There's always more God to connect to, always a new step for you to take, always new experiences for you to have. You never stop growing. And my fear is that some of us, we get comfortable, we just kind of maintain and maybe for the last 5, 10, or 20, or 30 years, you've been living your faith, and it's okay. You're not doing anything horribly wrong, but you're just, just kind of cruising and maintaining altitude. And what I want you to know is that there is more of God. There is more for you to experience. There is new growth that he wants you to take. There is always a new step. Because God is a big deal. He's bigger than we could ever wrap our minds around, ever we could ever imagine. John chapter 4 talks about this interaction with Jesus and the woman at the well. And in it, Jesus talks about worship. And he says, our Father is looking for worshipers that will worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. And so some of us today... If you're honest with yourself, you realize, you know what, I'm, maybe I'm not worshiping a God that is true. I mean, maybe there's elements of this God and how I view God, but it's not the true God. Maybe it's a God that I've created into my own image or that I've just kind of pulled things. I like, oh, I like this aspect. I like this verse. Uh, that makes me feel uncomfortable, so I'm going to go here. Oh, here's my God. Is a God like that worthy of your worship? Because a God that's created in your own image can never transform you, can never change you, can never help you grow, can never help you overcome. And so some of us, it's time for us to say, you know what? I need to worship God in truth. And I need to take a new step to learn who God is, who he truly is. Maybe I need to dive into his word more. Maybe I need to um, take some steps to, to, to learn, to get some more information or to talk to somebody. But I need to understand who God truly is that he's a big deal and he's worthy of my worship because of his eternal love for me. Or maybe there's some of us here today that uh, we say, you know what, I, I know the truth about God. I, and, and you can tell me everything that I need to know and describe God perfectly, but if you're honest with yourself, you're not worshiping in spirit. Your, your, your worship, the response to God is, is just kind of sterile and cold. And you're not letting your whole being, every, every ounce of who you are, your whole spirit give worship and respond to God. And so maybe for you this, this morning or your next step is to say, okay, what do I need to do to just worship God with my whole being? That every aspect of myself, there's nothing holding me back. That I just give God and I declare his worth. I declare his value. And I live it out and I show it to other people in spirit and in truth. 
Worship's a big deal. We're called to worship in spirit. God's a big deal. We're called to worship God in truth. And then the other great thing about worship is that it's not just a vertical relationship. That true worship, true worship overflows to the people around us. True worship overflows. Because in worship, it's an opportunity for your heart to beat in line with God's heart. And God's heart beats for people. Beats for other people. That's why in scripture it talks about if you're bringing your gift to the altar and you realize you have a problem with your brother, Jesus says, sit your gift down and go talk to your brother. Be reconciled with your brother. Because worship overflows to other people. And so when you live a life of worship and you realize the worth and value and what God has done to us, the extent, the lengths that he's gone to bring us to himself, when you hold that up as the ultimate value in your life, then you're going to share that and you're going to show that to the people around you. So if you come out and you say, I am a true worshiper, then you're going to be living that out and serving other people in love to show them God's love. You're going to be using your words to tell them, to give your testimony, to say, this is what God has done for me. I want you to know. Worship overflows to others because worshiping God is a big deal. So we're going to end our service here with an opportunity to to worship through song and worship through communion and worship through prayer. Before we dive into that as a a whole congregation, I want to give us just a, a couple minutes just to personally reflect on your own personal worship. Where are you? And what is your next step? And if you look in your bulletins, there's some reflection questions that we put together. So the worship team is going to come out and they're going to play a song that they wrote. It's on the new album that we're selling. It's about worship. I want you to take that time, just you and God. Say, okay, God, speak to me. And the question is, what is it that you worship? What is it that you truly worship? And is that worthy? Does your worship reflect the truth of God's greatness, that he is a big deal? And what do you need to do to begin to engage your worship with your whole being, to worship in spirit? What are the next steps that you need to take to grow in your worship, to hold God up as the supreme, ultimate value because he's the only one that's worthy in our lives? What's your next step? Because there's always more of God. There's always more, God. There's always new steps and new growth that can happen. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, Father, I'm just humbled that we get to approach you with those terms. That you're our Father and you're intimate and you're close and you know us better than we know ourselves. God, this morning I pray that you speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Help us see the immensity, the power, the might of who you are. Help us understand the intimate connection that you want to have with us. And God, help us respond accordingly. And so for each individual heart, I pray you show us the next step that you want us to take. To see you in truth, to worship you in spirit, to respond to you for who you are and what you're worth. We give this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.